Help. 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 Hello, and welcome to this mini-series from the MDT podcast team, covering some of the more common issues encountered when working with older adults. Each session is structured around a clinical question, and our aim is to help you approach this issue like a geriatrician, and they're all under just about 10 minutes. I'm Jo Preston, and joining me remotely are... Hello, I'm Alice O'Connor, and I'm a teaching fellow in East Surrey. Hello, I'm Ian Wilkinson. I'm a consultant geriatrician at Surrey and Sussex Healthcare NHS Trust and in East Surrey. And this session is all about urinary tract infections. Mrs P Burns is in hospital again with a UTI. She's not improving on antibiotics and this is her third course in as many weeks. Where do we go from here? Urinary tract infections are the most common infectious illness in adults over the age of 65. But there's no gold standard approach for diagnosis and over-treatment with antibiotics is a significant problem. However, you're in luck because we've come up with a few simple tips to help you reach the right diagnosis and start the appropriate treatment. I hope you spotted the pun there. You're in luck. Boom, boom. <laughs> anyway. Firstly, here are five things it's good to know about someone in whom a UTI is expected. Number one, what symptoms do they have, if any? This can be difficult because there's a high prevalence of both cognitive impairment and chronic urinary symptoms in older adults. Number two, has bacteriuria been identified? That is, do we know that there are any germs in the urine? Always look to see if any urine cultures have been sent. Often they haven't due to difficulty collecting samples. Number three, has the patient got a catheter? If so, do you know when it was inserted? Has it been changed since the diagnosis of a UTI has been made? Number four, are there any structural abnormalities of the urinary tract? That is, anywhere from the kidneys down to the urethra. Do they have a history of prostate, bladder or renal cancer? Have they had surgery or radiotherapy to their abdomen or pelvis? Have they had kidney stones in the past? All men with recurrent UTIs should have some form of imaging and they might need a urology referral as well. Not all women with recurrent UTIs need to be imaged. However, people who have hematuria-associated or multi-resistant organisms should have some form of imaging to look for structural abnormalities. Finally, number five. It might sound obvious, but have other sources of infection been ruled out? Although UTI is common in the older population, it is a diagnosis that gets dished out rather too liberally when people have non-specific symptoms. And if a treatment doesn't seem to be working, it's important to reconsider whether the diagnosis is correct. As we mentioned, signs and symptoms of a UTI can be difficult to elicit in older people. Specific symptoms include pain on micturition or dysuria, pain in the flank, passing urine more frequently, which is a sign of bladder inflammation that's called cystitis, or suddenly needing to go to the toilet, so a new urgency, and then often a sense of not having emptied one's bladder properly straight after going to the loo. It's important to find out if these symptoms are new though, as many older people have long-standing storage and voiding lower urinary tract symptoms for other reasons. Non-specific symptoms are similar to those that we would see with many of the other infections that we see in older adults. And these may be the only ones that you hear about in someone who is unable to give a clear history. Delirium may present as increased confusion, drowsiness, 
trouble concentrating or irritability. We've done a separate session on confusion as part of this mini-series if you want to learn more. The main signs to look for are blood or pus in the urine, so hematuria and pyuria, suprapubic or renal angle tenderness. Have a look in the show notes to see where these are. Fever, or sometimes a temperature below 36 degrees, which may be accompanied by rigors or violent shivering. And any other sepsis risk criteria, previously known as SERS criteria. If the patient is physiologically stable, there is less urgency to start treatment, so you may be able to wait for the results of a urine culture. If they are unstable, you'll have to start some treatment straight away. Urinalysis or a urine dip can sometimes be useful to rule out a UTI, but we wouldn't be ruling it in on the basis of a urine dip alone. If your patient has given you a clear history and they do not have urinary symptoms, then you don't need to do a urine dip. A dip may be positive, that is showing leukocytes or nitrites, in people who have asymptomatic bacteriuria, which is very common and doesn't need to be treated. For example, around 50% of female care home residents have asymptomatic bacteriuria. In other words, for this group of people, a positive urine dip tells you as much as flipping a coin about whether they have a UTI. Another group in whom dips are not useful is people who've got a long-term catheter. 100% of these pretty much are colonised with bacteria within a couple of weeks. So a positive urine dip tells you absolutely nothing. However, A urine culture can still be helpful if you clinically suspect a urinary tract infection. If someone has a history of urinary symptoms, or if you suspect infection but the source is not clear, then the negative predictive value of a normal urine dip is between 90 and 100% for older adults. The British Geriatric Society suggests that if the dip is normal, you shouldn't send that for culture and should then start thinking about other infective sources. If the urine dip is positive for nitrites or leukocytes, In patients in whom you have a clinical suspicion of a UTI already, then send that sample for culture. Ideally, all samples should be midstream, so a clean catch, but in practice, we know this is really difficult to do. Samples shouldn't be collected, however, from a pad because there's a risk of contamination with skin and faecal flora, which will interfere with the interpretation of the results. Whether or not you start antibiotics immediately will depend on how stable the patient is, again thinking about sepsis risk criteria. We'll include a link to the NICE criteria in our resources. The three most common pathogens causing UTI in older adults are E. coli, Klebsiella and Enterococcus faecalis. When choosing an antibiotic, the first place to look is your local or trust guidelines. It's also important to review your choice of antibiotic regularly, depending on the patient's clinical and physiological response. And in hospital, this should be done daily on ward rounds. It's also important to keep an eye out for culture and sensitivity results. If you're unable to access local guidelines, there are some really handy guidelines from NICE, including some interactive flowcharts for the management of urinary tract infections in different scenarios. For a lower urinary tract infection, so that's predominantly bladder or urethral symptoms. The first line treatment of choice is trimethoprim or nitrofurantoin. However, it's changing with time. When I qualified, amoxicillin or trimethoprim was the first line treatment, but there's such a resistance to amoxicillin now that's dropped off most of the guidelines. So it's important to follow your local guidelines wherever possible because they will have an idea of what your local resistance patterns are. For upper urinary tract infections, 
those are ones that involve the ureter or the kidneys, they often cause symptoms such as flank pain or rigors. The antibiotic of choice for these is slightly different and intravenous antibiotics are needed much more often. The NICE guidelines suggest oral keflexin as the first-line treatment with gentamicin, coamoxiclav or other keflosporins as second-line choices. But again, follow your local guidelines. If you're thinking of prescribing nitroferentoin, then remember it will only work with people with an EGFR of 45 or more because its action depends on renal secretion of the drug into the urinary tract itself and then it working locally. It's important to check renal function before prescribing other antibiotics too, because the dose might need to be reduced in renal impairment. Just a reminder that EGFR can be quite inaccurate in older adults, so it's best to calculate their creatinine clearance instead. Sometimes in hospital, there's a temptation to go straight for broad spectrum antibiotics or intravenous antibiotics, especially when it's not quite clear what the source of infection um, might be. And there's often a perception that that will deal with the problem faster. But just a reminder that some of those broad spectrum drugs like ciprofloxacin and coamoxiclav can increase your risk of other infections like C. difficile and that prolonged and repeated courses of any antibiotic are going to increase the risk of resistant organisms developing. So in the context of recurrent UTIs, that can be quite challenging to treat in the future. Obviously, if someone is septic or at risk of developing sepsis, then you should follow your local sepsis protocol. The management of UTI will vary in certain clinical circumstances. We won't go over all of these, as many will require specialist input from a urologist anyway. But we will talk about two of the more common situations in older adults, which are catheter-associated infections and recurrent infections. If you suspect a UTI in someone who has a catheter, a urine dip is of little value but a culture can be helpful. A CSU, or a catheter specimen of urine, should be taken before giving antibiotics, if at all possible. But don't delay giving antibiotics in someone who's unstable. That said, a catheter specimen of urine should be easy to do. You can do it yourself. The catheter should then be changed as soon as possible, and make sure that you have a new catheter ready to insert when you take the old one out, in case they develop urinary retention. There are several things that you can do to prevent infection in people with long-term catheters. And that's often centred around practising good catheter hygiene. So strictly observing aseptic technique when changing the catheter and emptying the bag regularly to prevent stagnation and reflux of urine into the urinary tract. Now, recurrent UTI is a diagnosis that often makes its way into a person's past medical history or their GP record. But I would advise taking that with a pinch of salt. Sometimes it just means they've been discharged from hospital more than once with a diagnosis of UTI written on the discharge summary. And it can be really hard to tell in retrospect whether UTI actually was the diagnosis or not. Some people or their caregivers will take urine samples to the GP on a regular basis or if they develop non-specific symptoms such as confusion. The diagnosis of a recurrent UTI may come from uh, repeated samples of urine being uh, processed which show asymptomatic bacteria. So it's really important that we know that the presence of that bacteria in the urine is accompanied by symptoms of clinical infection at the same time before we make a diagnosis of recurrent UTIs. It might be that that diagnosis has been made on the basis of antibiotics being prescribed repeatedly on the basis of a positive dip alone, which as we've already described, 
doesn't necessarily tell you that someone has a urinary tract infection. So these markers are quite often used to label someone as a recurrent UTI when actually the evidence for that strictly is quite limited. There are also lots of other causes for lower urinary tract symptoms, such as urge incontinence, which might actually be due to overactive bladder, um, or atrophic vaginitis in women, which in itself can cause dysuria, but also predisposes people to infection. So there are other conditions to consider. Non-antimicrobial management of recurrent UTI is usually centred around prevention and self-care. This includes advice about hygiene, especially for women, such as wiping front to back, changing pads regularly, and avoiding harsh or perfumed cleaning products for the genital area. Topical oestrogens can be helpful in vaginal atrophy. Cranberry products and D-manos have been shown to help prevent UTIs, although the evidence is limited. There is some nice guidance around the use of prophylactic antibiotics, but they do increase the risk of resistant organisms. And clinically, I think it's fair to say that opinion is divided. Single dose or standby antibiotics are sometimes prescribed for people with frequent UTIs, but these rely on the judicious use of these by the patient. In the show notes, we've included links to the various resources that we've been mentioning, as well as the NICE sepsis criteria and UTI management guidelines. We've also done a full-length episode on urinary tract infection, which you can find on our website, www.hearingaidpodcast.org.uk. This was in Series 2, Episode 5. So if you want to learn a little bit more, uh, head on over there. The MDT podcast and the learning resources there are free to use and cover a range of topics concerning older adults, from lung disease to loneliness. You can also check out the rest of this mini-series for more bite-sized learning. We hope this episode of Help has been a help. Help.